flat is a state of mind. Get to know the people, science, and stories that make the Kansas outdoors more than flyover country. This is Flatlander Podcast, presented by the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation. What I see on my dirt is undescribable as the Bible. Welcome back, Flatlanders. We're back with another episode, and I'm pretty excited about this one because it's an episode topic that I know very little about, Uh, so it's going to be an interesting conversation today. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay. And I'm Laura. And um, yeah, actually, I'll just send it over to Laura to introduce our guests. Also a topic I know very little about, but we are um, fortunate to have Keith and Eva year out from the Z-Bar Ranch in the Red Hills here to talk to us today about ranching and also um, just wildlife management on on a huge ranch. So welcome Thank to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're so happy you're here. So I think to kick it off, since Lindsay and I and maybe a lot of our listeners know nothing about ranching, we want to know how did you get to where you are? How do you become a ranch manager? Uh, we <laughs> saw that Ted had purchased the ranch in the Wichita paper. Uh, we, we are from originally over by South Haven, Kansas. We had bison over there and farmed over there. And uh, we knew several people that worked for Ted. Uh, we were members of the National Bison Association. So uh, we thought wheat was $2.32 at that time, and uh, we, this might be fun. So that's we went to Denver, Colorado, and interviewed out there, and they offered us the job, and we went out and looked at the ranch, and we said yes. Whoa. And when, when he says Ted, he's talking about Ted Turner. Yes, that's Ted Turner, yes. Who owns quite a few properties throughout the United States, right? Uh, he owns 15 ranches, okay. uh, two in Montana, uh, six in Nebraska, two in Nebraska, or I mean South Dakota, and three in uh, New Mexico, one in Kansas. Oh, wow. So that kind of makes a little more sense why you went out to Denver to interview. <laughs> yeah, we were at the National Bison Con- Winter Convention out there. Oh, okay. And they, we, we go every year, and, and uh, that's where... We that's where we interviewed. I didn't even know there was a bison convention, and now I want to go. I feel like we should go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need to go. Yeah, we should go. It's the last third week of January. It's it's in conjunction with the National West or National Stock Show out there. Oh, okay. So yeah. they have a sale out there and a show. Dang. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like Learn. there's a field trip in our future. <laughs> <laughs> and you manage a Z Bar Ranch, correct? That's correct. Okay. The, um, can you talk a little bit about the history of the ranch itself? Uh, the Z-Bar Ranch was put together by uh, three guy, three Kansas City grain trailer, traders in the 1930s. Uh, they got interested in purchasing land, so they bought uh, three ranches out there. It, it totaled up to 35,000 acres, a little more than 35,000. Uh, the next year, they bought a ranch in Comanche, Comanche County of 17,000 acres. And uh, a few le- years later, uh, one they bought one of the partners out, and so there was just two. And then they, they got into some sort of disagreement, and they split up. So uh, George Davis owned the Z-Bar, uh, which is a little over 35,000 acres since the mid-30s. He died in 1955. And he didn't have any heirs, so at that time, the uh, Boatman's Bank in Kansas City took over as trustee of the ranch, and they were trustee of the ranch. Well, they may have sold to another ranch or two, but they were the trustee until 1999 when Ted bought the place. Okay. So so total... We're over 40,000 acres? Well, and since the original purchase in uh, December of 99, Ted has bought five more smaller properties adjoining that. So we're, yeah, a little over 42,000 acres. Which I think is hard. I don't know, Lindsay, if you have trouble like I do, picturing that size of land. Um, so I, I'm trying to look up to compare like what national parks it would be comparable to. Oh. Do, you, do you all know offhand? Ooh, like, that's... I never never tried to do that, but it's basically six miles east and west, and it's nine miles north and south. Okay, that helps. It. It's 67 yeah. sections. Okay, yeah, that helps a lot in terms of visualizing, because I can 
I can yeah. think about a mile and be able to apply it to this. Yeah. So six by nine. So when you're in the middle of the ranch, you're and you're looking, you're it's all ranch. It's all Z bar. It's all Z bar. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, it's it's we're not flat down there, so you can you can see into Oklahoma a little bit. We have a, oh. there's 1,500 acres that's in Oklahoma, and you because of the the river that runs through it, so you can see some bluffs that are off the ranch. Nice. Okay. And the ranch is located in the Red Hills. In Yep, the Red Hills of Barber County, Southwest Barber County. Okay. Uh, again, thank you for making the drive to come record this episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. I have to ask, where did the name Z-Bar come from? Uh, it was actually the purchasers, when when Davis, when they took it over, he petitioned it to become Z-Bar Cattle Company in like 1970. And I don't know where it came from that he started it, but that's... It, it was Z-Bar Cattle Company, and then when it sold, it's now Z-Bar LLC. So that's where it originally came from. Was okay. the, the original ranch manager petitioned the bank to change the name from because it was originally Davis Ranch. Oh. Okay. So some of the old oil wells say Davis Ranch, and that's why. But So for us city folk... Um, what so Z Bar? I mean, you hear names of ranches, and there's like a bar or a. That's the brand, right? Like yeah, the the yeah. actual cattle brand. There is a, a Z Bar brand, yes. Yeah, okay. so that was registered in the state of Kansas, and st- uh, it's still registered, as far as I know. So there's a register. You yeah. register the brand. Okay. We didn't. Uh, the <laughs> The manager that managed the ranch for for the bank, he actually registered the the brand in his personal name. So he has it. He and he, as far as I know, he still lives in Kansas City. Okay. The unique thing: the owner has, since the 30s, has never lived on the ranch. It's always <clears throat> been an absentee owner situation. Okay. Um. What kinds of, so in the Red Hills, Barber County, and then portions are in Oklahoma, what kinds of ecosystems do you find on the ranch? Well, we're a, we're a mixed grass prairie, so, um, but we also have a wetlands on the ranch. There's a, the Salt Fork of the Arkansas tra- traverses through the ranch, and then there's a lot of different streams. So you've got everything from real sandy soils to real, that produce 3,500 pounds per acre to clay soils that if you can get anything to grow on them you're really happy yeah Uh, so it's it's really diverse there's outcroppings there's jip outcroppings especially on the oklahoma portion of the ranch so it's it's a really interesting terrain it's really pretty and when you say mixed grass prairie so Lindsay and i are kind of plant nerds you're gonna so that's literally just a mix between tall grass and short grass you're gonna have little blue stem i'm expecting um some of the grandma species i when i was out there i saw lots of button bush in your wetland areas which was cool trying to think what else goldenrod what are some other like main species that you see or like? You'll see a lot of Indian grass. You'll see um, sand sage. I mean, oh. we've got lots of sand sage just because it is so so sandy. sandy. Yeah. Um, buffalo grass. I mean, oh, that's yeah, our yeah. predominant short grass. So you, uh-huh. there's a little bit of everything out there. Yeah, from big blue to little blue to Indian grass, switch grass. Those are the tall grasses, and then the grandmas, like you said, hairy and blue and mm-hmm. buffalo. Those are the shorter grasses. So with so much plant diversity, surely there's wildlife diversity as well. <laughs> <laughs> what kinds of wildlife do you see out on the ranch? You see lots of wildlife. It's kind of fun because you see deer, coyotes, badgers, bobwhite quail, pheasants, let's see, turtles. You see all kinds of birds. Um Bob White Quail. Yeah. Yeah. Bobcats. Yeah. There's uh, tarantulas. tarantulas. This is the time of year oh, you yeah. see tarantulas occasionally. So um, it's it's really interesting, though, is because jackrabbits, cottontails. The thing that I've noticed is the increased number of things that you see on the ranch now hmm. compared to when we first moved there. I mean, you'll see a cut. Occasionally, we have a bald eagle or a golden eagle that'll fly through in the wintertime, which is really cool because you're not expecting to see them. But um, just the amount of wildlife and the diversity of the wildlife is has really it's amazing. Yeah, we've there were a few prairie dogs on the ranch when we got there, and 
we've expanded those numbers, uh, and, and because they are a keystone species, I mean, it, it, when a prairie dog's in somebody's belly, it, that it served its purpose, and everything likes prairie dogs. Uh, from burrowing owls, lots of burrowing owls, uh, just a lot of diversity. And Eva, you touched upon, so you've seen an increase in diversity since you all took over at the ranch. Is that because practices have changed, like land management practices, or... I think, I think so. We try to leave more grass. I mean, we rotationally graze around the, the ranch, so there are times that we don't graze a pasture at all during the growing season and let everything go to seed. And I think we've tried to increase the amount of diversity on the ranch. So I think that's really helped the wildlife. It gives them the habitats that they, different habitats that they need to survive. Um, I, it's it's been fun because one of the guys that used to pump the wells for years before we ever got to the ranch stopped Keith one day on the road and said, you know, I, I see so much more out here. It's He said, you guys have just done something amazing with this ranch, which makes you feel good. But totally. um, you do see a lot of things. We When we first got there, I, hadn't, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd seen a jackrabbit, mm. even when we live in Summer County. Um, now you see them all the time, scissor tail flycatchers. You used to never see them, and now you'll see them on the fence. So it, it's it's fun. I, I'm not a biologist, but you notice all that kind of stuff, so it's fun to see. Yeah, it's refreshing to hear that you're seeing more and not less, which is seems to be a trend lately, but it's, yeah. it's nice to hear you seeing more. Yeah, yeah the, the ranch had been leased out for 13 years before we took it you know, and, and to some local guys and you know they grazed it pretty hard so it lo- looked a little bit like a golf course when we when we first got there and were they grazing cattle or bison cattle okay yeah okay. it was cattle interesting okay so keith and eva i'm very curious um what is a typical day on the ranch like when it comes to work well, our we every Sunday night we do a uh, Eva does a list of what we what that's what we want to accomplish that week, and sometimes that list survives and we do pretty good on it. And sometimes uh, it, we you know something comes up whether uh, whether they've the bison went through a, a water gap and you got to go move them back to where they want to or whether uh somebody call has called and said they want to do a prescribed burn that day so we're going to go help our neighbors burn uh so sometimes we do pretty good with that list and sometimes not so evil talk about that um usually we don't get up really early. I mean, we start about 7.30 or 8. <laughs> See, I was picturing you up at dawn. Me too. Like all the Leopold style. So we are coffee. not that type of ranchers. We, we, you might catch us out at about 10 o'clock at night working, but we're not. We, One of our guys does come to work earlier. Um, but, you know, it, it. like he said, we have an idea of what we want to get done through that week and, and everything like that. And. It's all subject to change, whether it's, okay, we're moving animals this week, um, we're mowing trail roads, we're mowing yards. I mean, there are five houses on the ranch, so you have to keep up yards, mow the cemetery, get it ready for holidays and everything like that. Um, so, you know, if somebody has a breakdown, somebody needs a ride, uh, I guess the only thing typical about our day is there's not the same thing probably happening every day in a row. So if you're one of those people that has to have, I know exactly what I'm doing today and nothing is going to vary, you probably don't want to work on a ranch. It will drive you nuts. <laughs> um, but um, one thing that we don't do, because since we have bison, is I know a lot of other ranchers during calving season, they're up all night long checking animals. and Oh, we don't. We sleep all night. Bison do not need our help. They don't want our help. And uh, so we don't mess with them when they're calving. They just take care of it themselves. And, and it's great for us. We enjoy sleeping all night. Yeah. Well, and so prior to taking this job, you were on, you were, you had bison. Oh, because you were at the bison convention. So yeah, you must have had bison. And then did both of you grow up on ranches? Well, we both over there in Sumner County, you call them farms. So we both oh. grew up on. We were farmers basically that had a few cows, 
I mean, and I, I bought my first Buffalo. We called them Buffalo back then in 1983. So we've had them quite a while. Okay. Yeah. You sparked a question in my mind. That's not in our notes. So I apologize for <laughs> diverting. Yeah. This always happens, but, um, could you explain the difference between a farm and a ranch? Well, Eva can handle that. <laughs> uh, I think that primarily size, I would say. Well, and the composition between cropland and pasture land. Because to me, most farmers have more cropland and some pasture that they run livestock on. Whereas a rancher, it's predominantly pasture land and yeah there may be some cropland mixed in but i think the focus is a little bit different too where cropland is you know it's more regimented as opposed to rangeland okay so you would consider a ranch being very mixed in the things that they're doing out there versus farming being a little more singular probably and also bigger and bigger yeah, yeah and bigger yeah i mean a farmer a lot of farmers have cattle but i mean we some of the people and i don't yeah some people call them columbus you know they turn them take their cows to pasture in april or may and don't then they go out there and in october november and gather them up and a, a rancher sees these animals most every day and i i don't think a lot of farmers their priority is farming and farming is a full-time job, and they, they're they farmers with cattle. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, and they're going on to their, and we're calling it ranch. Yeah, Z-Bar Ranch. I felt like I was in Lonesome Dove. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a vibe to it. <laughs> and I saw, and the guys coming out on their ATVs, I, I told my coworker, I was like, those are cowboys. <laughs> Modern yeah. cowboys. Yeah. Out west. Yeah. Well, um. we do use ATVs and, and UTVs. We used to have horses. Just because when we moved the ranch to the ranch, the kids said, can we have cats? Because we lived on a highway where we were. So can we have a cat? Yes. Can we have a dog? Yes. Because they all got ran over. So the answer was no before then. Um, Can we have a horse? Yes. And our horses pretty much died as yard ornaments not being ridden because Uh. the kids hadn't grown up riding them. But there are real cowboys. There's still guys that oh. go out and do saddle, all that work. Saddle the horse every day. I mean, ride the horse every day in Barber County. There is a lot of them. They wear spurs wow. every day. And I can't imagine doing that when I'm on a four-wheeler that has an engine keeping me warm. I guess a horse would keep you warm, but, man, you got to be a tough guy to do that. I'm not yeah. that tough. <laughs> but so, yeah. Sorry. So when you're doing all this work, and, okay, hey, again, every day is different. You're hopping on a four-wheeler, even in, like, dead of January, and um, headed out to accomplish yeah. any number of tasks. If you've got to move animals, you're going to move animals. Um, it, if you're going to move, I mean, you're going to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's 106 degrees, you're going to go out and work. You You okay. do schedule differently because, like, well, it's hard on the equipment, but it's harder on the people. So, okay, we're going to do these things, move the animals and everything first thing in the morning when it's cool, and then we're going to go get in a tractor and do that kind of stuff when it's hot. Uh, so you, it's how you schedule, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're out there. Uh, we have postponed. We do our bison works in February, and we have postponed it because it was too cold. And in Kansas, you could do that because the next day it's going to be 60 degrees. So, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, if you miss a day, okay, it'll keep. We'll start later. So Okay. But we, y'all are tough yeah, is what uh, I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We used to be. <laughs> we have changed somewhat. We When we first started, we had used four-wheelers exclusively. Well, now they have UTVs, and, you know, they you can carry stuff with you to fix stuff, and they're more comfortable. They have a top on them you can get in the shade. So we are, we're slow, but we are adapting to modern stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things folks don't realize is just how difficult farming and ranching really is because we have the luxury of going into our house and getting warm or having air conditioning and the animals don't have that. So you have to go out and take care of them in those elements because they have nowhere to go. And bison are pretty tough. They, they survived a long time without our help. And, and basically as much if you leave them alone as much as you can, they're fine. So long as they have something to eat and some water and once they learn where home is, they're pretty easy to manage in the pasture environment. 
Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned rotational grazing. What other sorts of management practices are you using to to manage the land? So I'm I'm thinking like, are there invasive plants that you manage or? Well, it's it's invasive plants are invading the prairie everywhere. Uh, Eastern red cedar is a classic example. I mean, you just go up to Hutchison or or uh, and see the fires that they've had. Those are basically eastern red cedars that have been allowed to grow unchecked, and the fuel loads uh, have you know normally on our pasture, and when you burn, and there may be two thousand to twenty five hundred pounds of fuel there to burn. Well, there are places up there there's 25,000 pounds of fuel. That, and once it starts, it's impossible to put out. And it's not a question of if it's going to burn. It's a question of when. So we use patch burn. We burn parts of each pasture. We try to. Uh, we rotational graze through 28 pastures. Uh, what else is on your list there? <laughs> we actually we every t- if you could think of a management practice that's everybody's mentioned, whether it's high intensive grazing, season long grazing, patch burn grazing, rotational grazing, we do a little bit of each of those or a combination of all of those, just because the thing that everybody, especially from a conservation standpoint, that you hear is diversity is key, and the more of those that you can do. The more diverse your pasture is, the better that you can adapt to drought and really rainy years or or all of the different scenarios that you're going to run into. So we try to do have as much diversity as we can get out there. And how do you determine which management practice you should be using? Well, the first the main thing was grass needs to rest. I mean, if you're an athlete and you think about it, if you injure your athlete, ankle or something you don't continuously run on it and beat it down and expect it to heal and and when we first moved on onto the ranch that it was very similar to that it had been beat down so it needed to rest and even now it still needs to rest um bison are not miracle grazers um i'm sorry i don't think they are but they will overgraze something too. So you still have to manage and you still have to let the grass rest and go through its cycles and rejuvenate itself and increase the roots. I mean, we're talking about grass, but the key part is actually down below the ground. And that's what people don't realize is if you don't have anything above ground, you don't have anything below ground either. And, And some of those plants that that are really tall, have a root that keeps so much soil and so many microbes going that that's the key part of it. It it makes it a healthy soil. So then you can grow anything, basically, Um, even on the clay areas. If you get something covering them and get the microbes working, you can grow grass on them. We've, We've done a couple of places that you throw long clippings out and cover it. I mean, we do a lot of weird test stuff just to see if it works because, I mean, you're paying for that ground anyway. Whether it's productive or not is up to you, and that's what we do is do it out. And two years later, we had stickers growing on it. Well, okay, you don't want stickers, but that's the first thing growing. So now there's grass there. Okay. It worked. <laughs> so you're essentially doctors of the prairie. Yeah. Well, and I, I could feel your excitement when she said soil microbes. Yeah. Lindsay, Lindsay loves that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that really is driving home the point that you're, and you guys are like scientists to me or doctors. I mean, you're going out every day and assessing the situation and, and making changes. And it sounds like diversity of management practices equals resiliency. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Very much so. Okay. I love that. Yeah, well, one of, one of the first things before we had any animals put on the put on the ranch, uh, Fort Hay State came out and put in thirty transect sites across the ranch, from from our prairie dog towns down into the river. So we tried to establish those baselines early, and we we check we add new new transect sites every year, and we go back and monitor those, and and really it gives you an indication whether you're getting better or getting worse or how you're doing okay great and i'm assuming they're monitoring for plant species composition growth that kind of thing oh yeah 
Okay. That's exactly. Are we getting a greater variety of different plants out there? Yeah. Okay. Where are we turning it into a, a monoculture? No, we're trying not to. Yay. <laughs> Spirit beer. Yeah. Fingers. yeah. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Yeah. When, 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 yeah, as Eva said, those warm season plants need to be rested 80% of the time during the growing season. Because when something in, comes and takes half that plant off, two-thirds of the roots underneath die immediately. And if, if that plant doesn't get enough rest, it won't put enough energy into the to root system that it'll be slower starting the next year. So it's a constant de- decline as you keep the, the – got to have a root system under it. And I guess, yeah, for, for listeners who want to see prairie roots up close for some of these grasses that Keith and Eve are talking about, Flint Hills Discovery Center in Manhattan has a great display where you can just see massive, long, fibrous roots. Very cool. Yeah, and those of you in the Wichita area, the Great Plains Nature Center also has really good examples of it. And all you carbon freaks, grasses, <laughs> <Yeah>. grass <laughs> roots actually are better at storing carbon than tree leaves because they don't burn up. So right. Hashtag carbon freak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Just another little thing to mention there. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about this bison herd that you have. First, I want to know how many bison you have. Right now we have around 2000 head. There's about 1500 in the main mature herd. adults. Yeah. yeah. In our main herd. Oh, wow. um, they don't all group together. And actually I could talk about this for up to about 45 minutes. That's please, how long Please do. No, that's how. <laughs> um, so we actually have two herds on the ranch. We have what we call our main herd, which is all the breeding age animals and this year's babies. And then we have what we call our yearling herd, which actually has last year's calves and the any animals we're going to cull. Uh, when we wean our calves, we usually work animals in February, um, when we wean the calves, we put them in with the coal animals just because that gives them some leadership, uh, teaches them what they need to eat, where the home is. Um, it's kind of like letting a bunch of fifth graders out if you don't have somebody guiding them. <laughs> um, so we, we have two herds. Um, that's also our drought policy. So if it gets really dry, we can, can dispose of our yearling herd, basically ship off the coals. I mean, you you go through a hierarchy of which ones do we get rid of first. Um, But every animal on the ranch has three forms of ID. They have a round EID, which is a microchip in their ear. Um, They have a dangle tag, very similar to what cattle have that you can see. And then they also have a metal tag in their other ear. So for females, it's their official calf vaccinate tag males it's a ranch number tag so they all have forms of those three forms of id Um, we do have a computer system we work animals in february typically Um, we used to work them in november and december if you have late calves if you work them in february then you can pretty much wean everything so we've moved to february and uh, we preg check them weigh them uh, give any vaccinations that you need. But the animals are, have a very definite peck order from the top animal out there to the bottom animal. And they're, they're, more, they're not domesticated. They're, they're a wild animal. Case, end of story, they're a, they're a wild animal. They're not a pet. Um, but they're very smart. They're athletic. They... If, if you give them time to make a choice, they'll make the right choice. Uh, they remember gates. They remember the system. They, I mean, it, if they know they should be going out that gate and you're in the road, they're going to go out that gate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better get out of the way. Get out of the road, yeah. <laughs> you're on your own. Um, but they, they're very protective of their babies. I mean, the difference I've always noticed between cattle and bison is – You'll see a group, one mama buff cow babysitting five or six calves. You never see that with bison. Their calf is always, until they're about four or five months old, it's within three or four feet of mom. Mm-hmm. And even after that, it's within the first 20 feet of their mother. So 
it's they're really unique. I mean, they're right by mom, and she's protecting him. Um, but um, they're out in the pasture. We've got them trained. We we use range cake to lead them where we want them to go. It's much easier to lead a bison where you want it to go than try to drive it. Um, just because if they don't, they'll turn and look at you. The old saying is, he's got you buffaloed. That's a real saying because they turn around, they look at you, and they're big enough, you're not going <laughs> to, you don't know what he's thinking. You can't see their ears. Uh, once they get their tail up, they're really mad, so that's oh. not a good thing. But, I mean, they've got you buffaloed. I am unfamiliar with this saying. I am too, and I need to know more. Yes. So got you buffaloed means it's oh, yeah. angry at you? No, it just or? means you don't. You can't do anything. Oh, they're looking straight at you, and you're He's looking at They're just stubborn. It's, He's not going to move. It's a face-off. He, okay. he says, try it. Got says, it. Come on a little closer and see what happens. Okay, okay. Yeah. let's work that into our conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start using sure. it all the time. How, how old are these bison? How old do they get? Um, I think our oldest one is... Our oldest one has been 22. Yeah. Our oldest female. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and is she at the top of the hierarchy? No. Okay. Uh-oh. It's not is it based a male? on age. No. Oh, really? Well, no, it's not based on age. It's based on attitudes. <laughs> yeah. and attitudes all, and, and horns. And all the bigger bulls, the older bulls, they, they are dominant over any cow. Okay. But but the younger bulls, two-year-old bulls, the, there's, there's cows that show them who's boss every day every day but yeah that pecking order changes i mean you'll when you go out there you'll see two of them button heads well they're they're working out who's above most of them if they just tilt their head at them if it's a dominant animal that's enough and they're going to move away if you look at them they're they're not close right side by side if you look at cattle when they're you know they're right they're touching. You won't ever see a buffalo touch unless they've had their horns taken off. Then they act. Then they go. They'll act just like cattle when because some people remove their horns. But if they've got horns, there's going to be distance between them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now the top of this hierarchy or the pecking order, it when you're moving them, um, does it really just take the one that's at the top of that food chain, so to speak, that will help guide the rest of them? Or how do you move them about? It kind of depends. They kind of, they tend to rotate around the pasture. So if you really want to do it the easy way, you wait till the day they're close to the gate. But otherwise, and I don't know if there's an actual, in that rotation, if there's, they follow the top animal all the time. And, you know, if we pick up the, the animals will follow the truck. So whoever starts leading them, when that person starts going and the other ones hear the noise to indicate moving, they'll follow anyway, whether they're the dominant one or not. If they're going through the gate and somebody more dominant comes, they'll back away from it. But as far as following them, it's a very low-stress kind of movement. So they've got plenty of room to get away from the ones they're not comfortable being around. So you can just move them that way and it, it works really well. Oh, nice. So. Okay. Sounds like a good system. <laughs> so we've already kind of talked a little bit about some of the invasive plant species that you're seeing and management. What kinds of challenges, what are the big challenges you face when managing the ranch? Well, the biggest challenge out there was eastern red cedar. There, I mean, the whole Red Hills is just in, invaded with with eastern red cedar and not only that we have elm trees we have china berry trees that are going crazy there's there's uh salt cedar so invasives that have taken over and in in many ways eastern red cedar fire will take it out there's a lot of trees that are you know you can have prairie or you can have trees and and the prairie's getting taken over by tree invasion tree creep we call it uh, no one notices it, but you go drive along any road out here, and if there's a, a fence row there, it's grown up in trees, and they're they're worthless. They're not, I don't say worthless, but they're certainly unplanned, and they're they throw seeds out there, uh, and it, it's a it's discouraging in many ways the the tree invasion. Is that what you would say too, Eva? I yeah, challenge. I would I because I mean. 
people don't realize everybody talks about all the the rivers and the streams and everything drying up and i mean look at all the trees that are that tree's still alive so it's using water it's using water that grass would have normally been using even out in your pasture i mean people people who have trees across their pasture don't realize that that changes not only the amount of water but the grazing patterns of the animals because if if you didn't have that big tree out there that big cottonwood that you know uses 50 gallons of water a day well you might have a spring there that your animals are now going to be drinking out of as opposed to walking clear back to the pond or the water tank or hanging out there all year all day you know they're they'll actually use the other side of the pasture that well they just won't go there well it's your own management is the reason that they're not going there. And, uh, I mean, we've got old world. If you can think of an invasive, we've got it. Um, mm-hmm. you got old world blue stem. We have old world blue stem. We have tamarisk. We, we don't have messy thistle very much because we do anymore. keep an eye on it yeah. <laughs> anymore. Oh. I cut it on the neighbors so it doesn't come over on our place. Um, but you've got everything. I mean, People always think drought and fire are the big things. No, those are those are natural things that happen. You're not going to do anything about them. Um, but the things that you can control, you should be controlling. And one of those, to me, the key thing is trees, deciduous trees. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we've figured out how to get rid of cedar trees and cedar tree carcasses. It's not fun. It's not pretty. But deciduous trees, you have to cut them and you have to treat them. And and they're a lot of work, and they they're kicking seeds out. I mean, even the trees along somebody's crop field. Well, that's not a problem. Well, I can show you some of the crop fields on the ranch that there were cedar trees or cottonwood trees next to it. We planted them back to grass. That was great. We have great stands of really small cottonwood trees just because of the seed base that was out there mm, yeah. and so if you get rid of the seed base when it's cropland then maybe you don't have to deal with it when it's pasture and, wow. and when you say seed base you're talking about seeds that are that exist in the ground yeah already and can remain viable for sometimes decades in the case of johnson don't grass. say that <laughs> <laughs> oh, do, you, do you all have johnson grass out there we do. Oh, oh no. Lots Sorry. Of, all the old crop fields have Johnson grass in it, and it's it out-compete. There's no native plant that can compete with Johnson grass. And when they were continuously grazing them, the, the cattle and bison will eat Johnson grass. But when you go to the ray rotational system and it has a whole summer of rest, Johnson grass does really well. Oh, man. <sighs> well, so, yeah. I got games. Yeah. No. <laughs> I got to say, Evie, you're making me think about trees just a little bit differently now, too. Yeah. Trust well. me, it's very difficult to go on a road trip and not just cringe between here and South Dakota. Oh, man. I mean, it does. Yeah. Those, those ranchers don't know how much of a problem is on their doorstep. I mean, it's simple to take care of them when there's 10 trees, you know, cedar trees in your it, it go out and in one day you can you can set the cedar tree cycle back 50 years. The interesting research in cedar trees, uh, you know how long it takes a eastern red cedar seed to go through a bird? No. Seven minutes. What? Seven minutes. Do you know how far the average bird travels in that time? 100 yards. 95% of those seeds are dropped within 100 yards of that female cedar tree. 99% within 200 yards. So we're, we're going to talk about core areas, which means tree-free. So once you have a big enough core area, the trees are not going to come back in. 99% of the eastern red cedar seeds are only viable for one year. Those were all new, relatively new research. I want to read this paper about seeds passing through <laughs> yeah. birds in seven minutes. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it does. And Eva was laughing at me. My face was just <laughs> yeah. yeah. After the fire of 16, we really, we had cut, you know, we'd spent 
16 years cutting and burning trees and we were really thinking after the fire when 99 95% of the ranch burnt in 2016 and we were going hey this is great we're we've got it whipped so we actually let our tree cutters go to montana for a couple of years well then we heard Drac Treadwell who's the guy from the Autis research and we're going you know we we didn't mind a few cedar trees scattered out there well it it one cedar tree affects 26 acres. So we've re- renewed our effort to become a core area. Hmm. And any other tree that's within 200 yards of that cedar tree is a perch. So your seed just keeps going. So people that cut their cedar trees and leave deciduous trees, hmm. until you you get rid of it, you know, to me, if it's not a historic tree... I've changed my view since we came to the ranch. If it's not a historic tree, like great-grandpa proposed to great-great-grandma back there, then it can go. Mm -hmm. There are certain areas that, okay, we'll keep some trees, but um, for the encroachment, for the the health of the prairie, it's a prairie. It's not a forest, And, and I think people need to realize that's the the plants and the animals and everything that survives out there they survived because there weren't trees and you put trees into that ecosystem and it totally changes it. Yeah. Uh, the prairie birds are, are some of the most endangered species out there are just prairie birds. The one tree will make them move away. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Well, you'll like that Jeff Pendergrass, who we interviewed about Upland Game Birds, his challenge to our listeners was go cut a tree down. <laughs> and he carries oh, man, loppers that's with him. He took our thunder. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> we've actually had a fair amount of, of guests on this show drive home that point. So the more the, more the merrier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be out in a pasture. It can be in your own backyard. I call them junk trees. Keith doesn't like that. But to me, they are. They're just trees that, you know, livestock used to keep down that now people oh it's just growing there it's just little it's not going to hurt anything 20 years later it's a pain and Mm -hmm. uh, go cut them out now yeah so you mentioned core areas which is kind of a nice segue into our next question which is what does success look like for you um, in terms of managing the ranch well, Besides su- no trees. success comes is when someone comes out and said, hey, I would like to do a bumblebee survey, and they come back all excited the next day, I found five. That is success. Okay, so diversity, <laughs> yes, species or, composition. Or, or toads, or dung beetles, or yeah, all those. Actually, researchers are kind of fun because they look at stuff that, yeah, we may notice them, we may never notice I Trust me, I probably never would have noticed how many bumblebees until you said it and then i start noticing <laughs> yeah. them a lot more i don't know their difference but <laughs> yeah okay so different species are indicators that you're you're doing you're doing good yeah. with management one part of this podcast or one purpose is to try and introduce an audience like hunters anglers birders to the science behind management and behind um you know what we are seeing and doing outside and Part of that is getting people to understand journal articles and scientific research and how to kind of consume that. And so I wanted to point folks to a really cool study that was published in July of this year from our friends and colleagues up at K-State in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science journal, which is one of the top tier, if not the top tier journal. And it, the title is Reintroducing Bison Results in Long-Running and Resilient Increases in Grassland Diversity. And their results show that if you have bison grazing, it can double plant diversity in a grassland community. That's super cool. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, go check it out. Um, It's one of those journal articles that has a sidebar that kind of breaks down. Like you don't have to go in and read the entire article and get into the science jargon. It has a little sidebar section that breaks down the research for you, but highly recommend you go and we'll link to this in the show notes. But yeah, so you guys are doing that. (laughs) Well, and the other thing I didn't realize until somebody that works with birds a lot came out and said is bison hair is really important. And, and you don't think about it because yeah. they shed hair every spring. And you would think with almost 2,000 head of bison out there, you'd have hair hanging on sampling bushes all over the place. And it all disappears. And what the guy said was, that's because the prairie birds use it in their nest. Yeah. 
and, and that makes their nest insulates them better and it was like okay you know but because bison hair is longer than cattle hair mm-hmm. right right and, and it's more dense i mean yeah you you'll go through there and you'll see a little bird nest and it's made it's all lined with bison hair and it's insulated better so they're sure their hatching rate is more successful there. So yeah, it's pretty cool. A uh, pro tip for any backyard birders who are listening: you can take your own hair and set it out, and the birds will use it to make their nests. Wow. Oh. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about having my hair in a bird nest though, oh, and yeah. like watching it, but it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> if it's successful, it's good. Yeah, so. exactly, and it's aiding, you know. When you think about the ranch, what gives you that huge sense of pride about it? When the researchers come out, yeah, when yeah. everybody sees stuff, and because you're out there all the time, I mean, you see stuff, but you're you pretty much look at it from the we need to do this, we need to get that done, we need to. I mean, it's the things that you need to do and and improve. Uh, so having people come out that are looking at it from a different perspective and say, wow, you know, it looks different. Um, so that's probably the main thing is having that second set of eyes. Um, we use that on a prescribed burn just because people look at stuff differently, and it, it's it's good to have somebody come out and say, because you're going, I'm not making any progress. <laughs> and they come out and say, wow, there's not anything. It looks like a prairie. It's like, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the biggest deal is, a guy that there's a lot of oil and gas wells on the Z bar and uh, he had pumped the wells, you know, for 20 years before we got there and we'd been there 10 years or so. And, uh, it's, <sighs> maybe I won't go there. <laughs> anyway, I'll try to get the, he saw me on the road one day. Can't do this. (laughs) And told him about the animals. He said, wow, what you guys are doing is uh, really good. Yeah, y'all are doing really good work out there. Yeah. So it does choke you up. Yeah, when you you dedicate your life to it, 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 it's a huge deal. Well, and... And I think it helps other people to see that, you know, it's it's not ranching or conservation. People, mm-hmm. if you take care of one, the other one takes care of itself. And and I think people have to realize that because we didn't do anything that other people can't, can't do. I mean, we're an operating ranch, so, yeah, Ted Turner owns it, but we're an operating ranch. We're expected to make a profit, and we're expected to... To carry our own weight so the fact that you can make those change the changes that we have i mean your grass will come back if you give it a chance your ranch will come back and it's not something that that's you have to be a wizard or anything else anybody that cares can make it happen and and it's just yeah, kind of making a commitment to do that yeah there's plenty of technical help out there i mean the nrcs the U.S. Wildlife Parks, and yeah, there's plenty of technical help that'll tell you what to do, show you what to do, and and determine whether you're getting better or not. Yeah, I mean, I think we have all the technical guidance in the world, but it takes willing landowners and managers to actually implement it. So, and uh, the success, it it pays off. Yeah. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity and spending as much time as you have out on the ranch, is there a favorite memory that you have or a favorite moment that you've experienced on the ranch? Wow. Uh, <laughs> what was your... Like the birth of your first <laughs> bison or... Yeah. Uh, actually, no. We, when I oh. asked the Keith that yeah. question, it was like, that was his first statement too was, wow. Uh, <laughs> actually, we couldn't think. And then the one thing I thought of was... Um, Probably the Sunday, and, and the question said, what was, the f- I guess it is, favorite moment. but um, And that was probably the Sunday morning after the fire in 2016, when it had snowed. And 
everything was white. And not white as in could see the trees through it, but everything was white. And it was, to me, that was it. Everything went from totally black, charred, looked like it was history to everything was white. And you just think, okay, it's a new start. Yeah, (laughs) get to begin again. And then six months later, everything's bright green and we're off and running again. (laughs) So that was probably it. What about you, Keith? Well, mine was with the the oil field guy. That uh-huh. was that, but I can't get through that. <laughs> we won't ask yeah. you to. Okay. Yeah, no, that's it's touching though that that's so meaningful. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very emotionally moving. Yeah. So, not to bring it to a negative note, but I mean, this is important stuff to talk about. What keeps you up at night related to ranching or conservation? What are you stressed about? Tree creep. Tree creep. Oh, <laughs> uh, there uh, even. Even where we've done so much work, we put fire, we cut all the trees. You go out there, and there are little cottonwood trees. There's there's uh, Siberian elm trees that are they're coming. They're trying to reestablish. It's it's a twenty year project to to turn it back to prairie. It doesn't happen overnight, and there are so many programs, and they get everybody started, but we're not finishing. There's yeah, they just were not finishing. Yeah, and I don't want my laugh to be misconstrued, but I knew that that was what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to be it's about tree trees. trees. <laughs> Is it the same for you, Eva? Yeah. Um, I mean, because people don't realize that, you know, they're grazing. When you have all those trees, you're, you're part of a vicious circle because you're grazing Fewer acres, I mean, and it's like, well, Grandpa always grazed 20 pair out on here year-round. Well, yeah, but Grandpa didn't have 60% tree covered that. So now you're grazing a smaller area number of acres with the same number of animals or that may be bigger than what Grandpa had. And so you're actually grazing it harder than Grandpa ever did. And, and it's just a vicious circle, I, I mean... You, you have to make conservation a, 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 a priority because those trees use water. They change the grazing patterns. Um, we've had springs and streams since the fire. And, and, you know, 2016 and 17 and 18 were kind of tough years. But quite honestly, that wildfire in the long run was probably the best thing that happened to our range. Um, the the river had in until sixteen and it dried up every year but one mm. in uh, that it flowed year round. Since sixteen, it has never dried up until this drought. It is drying up now, okay. but the amount of water that is taken out of the out of the 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 hydrology is tremendous from trees. I mean, we can't do anything about the amount of water that falls on our prairie. We can do a lot about how much stays on our in the in the soil, and that that's the name of the game: is keeping what we do get in your on your property. Don't don't let it run off into Oklahoma. I have to ask. I I feel like I keep starting every question with that. But um, do you guys take uh, volunteers for tree removal? I was just. I would love to come. Yeah, I was going to work out a deal where we become interns for a summer. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. (laughs) We've been trying to figure out how to do that. So, but if we figure it out, we'll let you know. Okay, call me up. I'll be there. Okay. uh, We were just we're willing to try about anything. (laughs) Uh, We've got a lot. Most of the easy trees. It's the difficult ones down in the canyons, which. Prescribed fire will get that, but we we don't we can't light a fire in those conditions that it takes to get the fire down into those into those canyons. So and it's 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 hard to mechanically get in there and get them. So it's chainsaw, mm-hmm. and that costs a lot of money. And no, there's not a lot of people anymore that want to get a chainsaw and go climb into a canyon. Okay, so we always end each episode with some kind of a challenge for our listeners. What challenge do you have for them? 
Uh, my challenge is let's return the uh, keep what prairie we have and, and try to beat the tree creep back in uh, you know everywhere it's coming. There's a, uh, there's only in the last farm bill there's only two places in the United States that actually you can from satellite see that we've we've won the battle with trees. One is in Barber County, the four hundred thousand acres that burn in the sixteen fire. The other one is uh, the Lust Canyons up in Nebraska. Those guys are good. They are the best there is. They they are doing large-scale fires, multiple landowners. They're using uh, deferred grazing. That means that you can, the government will pay you not to graze, so you build up enough fire or fuel that it will carry a fire. I mean, a lot of people turn it black, but they don't accomplish anything. I mean... You, the first thing you do before you burn is you write a burn plan. What do you want to accomplish? Do you want to burn for production? Then you'll burn in the spring. If you want to kill trees, you burn in the summer. Eva, you got a challenge for our listeners? I guess my challenge would, it, it has to do with trees. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, I guess it's for people to notice the, the trees and not just notice them, but do something about it. I mean, it's it's not tough to take a nippers out and cut something two inches or smaller, and um, I would say that that would be my challenge is is to notice it and do something because if you're not doing if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So that's what I'm going to say. Well, I'm going to go home and cut all the little trees down that are growing <laughs> yeah. in my backyard. It's been on my to-do list. I'm going to go do it today. Treat them, too, because yeah. once you want them, you want to make sure they're dead. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Be sure Absolutely. you treat them. <laughs> Unless it's a cedar, then you don't have to treat them. Yeah, there, I mean, there's places for cedar trees. The shelter belts around somebody's farm, we don't. We understand that those are good trees, Not you know, but those growing wild out, yeah, they, they have a better place. Great. Well, um, before we wrap up, is there anything that we missed? Anything that y'all want to touch on more or? Not that I can feel think like of. we got. I want a whole episode on bison. I know, like, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to talk bison all day with you. You need to come look you, at them. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah. I would love to come we'll come out. down, give sure. me a tour, take you out. And and each of the animals does, their ear tag tells you what year they were born. Oh, so. nice. Okay. Where they came from, what they, you know, what year they were born, they all that two, kind of they stuff. Have two letters, and the one letter says what year they were born. The second letter tells what ranch they were born on. Mm. Then, then, then the number. Okay. And the interesting thing is, some of them that we got from other ranches because that they were went and because you put them in and you know one two three four five. So we've had some some females that have been on the ranch for twenty years. And they would still come through within a few, few number of each other. So that I mean, they they have been mated or not mated, but I mean, they're friends for life. Oh wow! They were tagged as calves within three or four of each other. They came to us, and they still go through the shoot within, within three or four of each other. Okay, I have a follow up question. (laughs) (laughs) I always do. Um, When your bison are reproducing, you don't control their reproduction. Right, you just kind of let them do their natural thing, and then you decide afterwards how to kind of manage your herd a little bit better. You mentioned culling, Eva. What the bulls say? Actually, the animals stay as bulls all their life if they're males, um, and the bulls run with the herd year round. Uh, we don't pull them out during different breeding season. Their gestation's nine and a half months, so um, August is their breeding season. They typically calve in April, which is Guess what? When the grass turns green, so mom has something to eat for milk. So, um, and it's not cold and nasty. <clears throat> so they pretty much know. I mean, they have the instincts from being out here, and and we as great knowers of everything, humans haven't totally screwed them up. So they still take care of themselves, and and they we call them based on it may be based on age. Uh, we do preg check, uh, so. If they're, they've been open for two years in, in our tracking system, where we can check to see how long they've been open or what um, temperament. Uh, we they're nice animals, but nobody's life is worth more than 
any of the animals on our ranch. So if their temperament gets them to the point that they take a vacation to Colorado. So that's, that's how it is. That's where they're slaughtered at. Got it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we don't. If if they chase us around, we get their tag number and they're going to go to town. Yeah. I mean, they, if, if it's a cow with a calf, she has a reason yeah. to be protective of it. If it's just one that you're moving them and suddenly she pops out of the herd and is just having a bad hair day, you get her tag number. And if she has more than one bad hair day, she's on the list. So, I mean. I love a good bison burger. <laughs> I do too. Okay, this is a weird question, and I'm really sorry I'm dragging this out. But I saw something the other day, and I can't remember where I was. It might have been online now that I'm thinking about it, but um, I saw something about bison milk. Ooh. Oh. Was it bison milk or was it buffalo milk? I don't remember. Because if it was buffalo, I mean... it was If it was buffalo, it was probably uh, water. water buffalo. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It might have been buffalo. Because the, they tried to, there was a guy on the East Coast that was marketing buffalo and actually had a picture of a bison on it, but it was water buffalo. Mm. And there's, there are a huge number of water buffalo in the world. Yeah. So so the NBA had led the fight to, if you know, we're going to, if it's a buffalo, call it buffalo. If it's a bison, we'll call it bison. Okay, okay. Actually, the dog food industry, they... They added a dollar up to the a pound to the carcass price of a buffalo because they, you know, there's a lot bison. of dog food that has bison in it. Mm-hmm. Well, the same guy was using water buffalo, mm. and uh, finally put a stop to that. And he made even, yeah, if we, yeah. Anyway, the, you, now if your dog food says bison, it is really bison. Okay, okay. and bison. The Latin name is. Bison, bison, bison. bison. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So technically, they are bison. People in the, if you say North American buffalo, you're technically correct. Um, but I tell people we we raise buffalo and eat bison. Um, cattle industry raises cattle and eat beef. Oh, okay. Technically, they're bison. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And they're the, uh, yeah, the, we use the word interchangeably. Okay. And then you get beefalo in there. Oh, we don't, we don't, oh, we don't want to. Got some fringes. Okay. <laughs> Somebody well, told me once that beefalo have the worst traits of both animals. So that was enough for me to say, nah, not even go in oh there. Yeah, I respect that. <laughs> I, I, uh, they're still actively doing raising beefalo. I don't know why, but they do. Well, if, if listeners wanted to find out more about Z-Bar, do you have a website? TedTurner.com? Yeah, we're we there's yeah, we're listed there. All of his ranches have websites, yeah. Okay. So TedTurner.com, head there, look up Z Bar Ranch, you can find out more. Um, Keith and Eva, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really no problem. interesting and inspiring. <laughs> Truly, it really has. And thanks for um all my weird questions. <laughs> we're used to them. That's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> That's how people learn. <laughs> okay, and remember, listeners, flat. Is it's a state, state of mind. mind. <laughs> Flatlander Podcast is made possible through a partnership between the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation. Sound and production by Megan Mayhew. Music by Kansas locals, The Box Turtles. Become a member of KWF for free by visiting kansaswildlifefederation.org. And be sure to follow KWF on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife Federation and on Instagram at KS Wildlife Fed. Stay up to date on all things KDWP by following the department on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife and Parks and on Instagram at the KDWP. Remember, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks is supported by flatlanders like you through the sale of licenses and permits. Consider buying a hunting or fishing license today to conserve and protect the wild spaces and faces that make Kansas more than flyover country.